Welcome to 10.5, the official podcast of the OPP Association. My name is Scott Mills. And I'm Emily Brown. We are the Strategic Communications Coordinators for the OPP Association and your host for the 10.5 podcast, the official podcast of the OPP Association. The OPP Association is a sole bargaining agent for the close to 10,000 members of the Ontario Provincial Police in Canada. Our members are our focus and our strength. We aim to provide important information to our members and the public about matters that affect policing in the province of Ontario. Today, we welcome a very special guest on the podcast. Lynn Boucher is here with us from, uh, from her home up near Rockland. And um, Lynn is the wife of Guy Boucher, who uh, unfortunately died by suicide. He was a retired OPP officer. And uh, on our podcast today, we're going to discuss suicide warning signs because uh, Lynn really wants to uh, prevent this from happening to any other family. And uh, both Emily and I have had a chance to meet Lynn and talk with her and and we're just really grateful that she's here to uh, to join us today. So welcome, Lynn. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored. Well, thanks, Lynn. It's, it's really nice to have you here. And, and thank you for offering to be a guest on such an important topic. Oh, you're so very welcome. I mean, if we can prevent someone from completing suicide, then this will be a success. All my family wishes is to create awareness and prevent suicides and other families having to go through what we've been through. Well, a very honorable uh, cause and endeavor that you've uh, embarked on here, Lynn. And I know your daughter, Veronique, has has also been very involved with it. And uh, we'll hear from her um, on another episode um, from kind of a daughter's perspective on this. So we're, we're looking forward to that as well. So... Just a, a caution to our listeners um, that this podcast talks about suicide. It may be triggering for some. Um, we believe uh, that talking about suicide openly and honestly can help reduce stigma and hopefully encourage anyone listening to uh, seek out um, some professional help or, or peer support or, or whatever help that they need. And, uh, our uh, OPP Associations Encompass Mental Health Wellness Program is available 24-7 uh, for our members and their families uh, by calling 1-866-794-0117 or online at encompasscare.ca. And that's spelled E-N-C-O-M-P-A-S-C-A-R-E.ca. And um, also the OPP Healthy Workplace Team can be reached 24-7 by calling 1-844-677-9409 or by email at opphealth at opp.ca. Well, thanks, Scott. That's important information for everybody. And uh, as you mentioned prior, uh, I did get a chance to meet Lynn prior to this podcast when we were all up in Ottawa during the Canadian Police and Peace Officers Memorial in September. So it's it's nice to kind of come full circle and, and chat today, Lynn. Oh, yes. I'm so glad I was able to do this. 
I mean, that uh, memorial was such a nice but emotional day. It was so wonderful to see all the police services come together and stand united and uh, meet and talk to you and Scott a bit about my story. And uh, whoever knows me knows that whenever I have a chance to talk about Guy, I never miss the opportunity. <laughs> We're happy to give you that opportunity because you do have a lot of very good things to say. And uh, we're grateful uh, that you have chose to share your journey here on our uh, 10.5 podcast. Cause, uh, it's, it's not an easy story to tell or to hear. Um, I just kind of wanted to start off um, by reading a post online in a, in a GoFundMe that was started. It's, it's now closed. Um, but it was... The GoFundMe was uh, made by uh, a former co-worker of Guy Boucher's uh, named Greg Bell. And um, I believe that just by reading this, it sets a tone for what you, Lynn, are about to discuss with us. So here goes. It's, it's not that long. Um, on May 2nd, 2021, our brother and friend, Provincial Constable, retired Guy Boucher, badge 8005, tragically lost his life. Guy was the type of police officer and person that others gravitated towards. He was the ultimate gentleman. He was smart, kind, funny, and would always make time for you if you needed him. This GoFundMe has been set up to help his family deal with such an immeasurable loss. In a time where we all can't get together to celebrate his life, and just uh, for context, he died during COVID uh, period, uh, supporting his family is something we can all do to help out and to help move forward during these extremely difficult times. Uh, those words are very touching to me when I read them, uh, Lynn, when we were researching for uh, this podcast today. And our condolences go out to you and your family. I'm hoping maybe we can uh, start off your talk by having you uh, introduce yourself uh, in your own words, Lynn. Thank you so much. And uh, Greg, uh, he summarized me very well. <laughs> um, so uh, I'd love to introduce myself. My name is, of course, Lynn Boucher. I'm the wife of retired Constable Guy Boucher. He worked at uh, Hearst, Rockland and Ottawa Detachments. As stated earlier, Guy died by suicide on May 2nd, 2021, just 15 months after retirement. We were married for 32 and a half years. We have three grown children, two daughters-in-law and four wonderful grandchildren. I, am, I started some advocacy work with my daughter in order to bring attention to mental health to our police members because the are an extension of my family. They're my family in blue. Yeah, that's why we've been doing this. Well, thanks, Lynn. Um, in preparation for this podcast and in meeting you, um, Scott and I both had a chance to go over um, your written story and uh, some slides that you have put together when you go to speak with anyone who would listen in the policing community about this important topic. And uh, we understand that you and your daughter are offering to share this presentation widely 
um, hoping that it can save lives. Um, so during this podcast, we, we decided that we would just turn the microphone over to you, Lynn, and you can share as much or as little of your story as you feel comfortable and, and you wish to do so here. Uh, thank you so much, Emily. Um, I'm so very pleased to be able to share this presentation uh, together. My daughter and I, we hope to make people reflect so that no other family goes through what we have. I mean, losing someone to suicide is such a tragic loss. I mean, we're coping one day at a time. And when all of this happened, Veronica and I, we just needed to do something. Uh, we didn't want his death to be in vain. We, we just thought, how can we reach out to people? And one day we were given the opportunity to share a story and we took it. <laughs> so I'm very proud of her. It's uh, really not easy to do this. Like you said, Scott, uh, it brings up a lot of emotions. And just before just, you, yeah, oh, go ahead. Go, I was just going to say, just before you get going into this, because I know what's coming here. Um, <laughs> I, I think it'd be a really good time to, to let our listeners know uh, that uh, congratulations are in order for you and Veronique. As, and for our listeners, both Lynn and her daughter, Veronique, received a prestigious award, uh, the Darius Garda Legacy Award, uh, for being change makers for police and mental health at uh, the Canada Beyond the Blue Champions of Change Gala in September 2023. To uh, Congratulations to you both, Lynn. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. It was such a very big surprise. And yes, it was very emotional. I think it took me two weeks to recover. <laughs> but we never thought we'd be nominated or even win. I mean, we were surrounded by many well-deserving people who are also making such a difference. Yeah, and I, I want to note I want to note a few of the people that were nominated in your category. Um, uh, Cameron Forrest from the Toronto Police Service and Detective Tom Como from the Toronto Police Service. Andrew Hodson from uh, the OPP Halliburton Highlands Detachment was nominated. And Sergeant Bruce Angel, who's himself been a guest on this podcast, from the Gray Bruce OPP uh, were all nominated in that category. And there were, there were a number of categories uh, that night. And um, it was uh, a pleasure for us, uh, I know there was a large contingent of the OPP Association, including our president and vice president um, and uh, members of our board that that witnessed that. And it was definitely a, a memorable moment in time. And uh, as you say, very emotional. I just we're just very happy with all the great work that you're doing and all these people are doing. And uh, it, it was so nice that uh, Canada Beyond the Blue is is recognizing uh, this work uh, done by by people. So congratulations once again. Thank you. And also, Lynn, again, before we jump into everything, um, we actually had the chance to be together at um, the, the first names or the introduction being added to the OPP Suicide Memorial just earlier this month at OPP General Headquarters in Aurelia. Um, do you have any thoughts on that, Lynn? Oh, yes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, what a wonderful and needed initiative by Commissioner Karik and his team. I mean, uh, I just wanted to thank them for bringing, you know, mental health awareness in the organization and then Compass 
it's been so useful for me. I use it and uh, so grateful for it. Uh, it was so very touching to hear the names of these numbers members who uh, dedicated their lives to policing and died because of the line of duty. I mean, uh, it was so emotional. Uh, I'm so grateful that the memorial was able to recognize Guy and the other members and that they will never be forgotten. I mean, Commissioner Karik, I've met him a few times and he cares about his officer's wellness. I mean, he's truly a genuine person and he and his team are working so hard to make changes. And I'm, I thank them for that. I, I agree. Uh, there's a lot of people doing a lot of good work. Uh, we've got a long way to go, but uh, we're, the train has left the station and uh, hopefully, uh, the, you know, this, even this podcast is part of that work, uh, Lynn. And uh, I, I'm so glad that Emily was able to be there uh, to, to write up a story on that, uh, that day, that special day earlier this month. And, I know uh, John Cherisolo, our OPPA president, and David Sabatini, our uh, OPPA vice president, were there for that day. And uh, I know that the OPP Association Board of Directors and all of our uh, staff members and all involved with the OPP Association are very supportive of this initiative. And for those of you who are not familiar with the OPP Suicide Memorial, it's... uh, it's the first of its kind in Canada and was formally launched in 2021. Um, there's an in-depth story and video of that launch uh, on the uh, OPPA blog. Uh, it's public and um, we're going to put the link in the, in the show notes. And for any families of our members who have died by suicide, if, if you would like to apply to have your loved one's name on the OPP suicide memorial, the, uh, application is uh, posted in that same article on the uh, OPPA blog. And uh, an easy way to find it is just to do an online Google search of uh, OPP Suicide Memorial, maybe throw in uh, OPPA for the association and you'll come up with the article. So Lynn, let's get back to your story here. And I know you've put a lot of thought into understandably uh, what you're going to say today. And uh, we want to know, we want people to know about Guy's situation, uh, you know, hopefully to prevent future tragedies. Um, so, you know, take as long or as short as you, as you like, Lynn. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, I've been uh, working hard on trying to make this uh as clear as possible and try to help as many people. And I just wanted to say, as I go through my presentation, I share my observations as a wife and uh, anything I say that may seem as criticism is not meant to offend anyone. I mean, all I want is just to have a discussion about moving forward together. So that is my goal. Uh, If I could just start off by saying a few words about Guy and the person he was for those who never got a chance to meet him. Uh, As stated by Scott before, I mean, Guy was the ultimate gentleman. Every one of my condolence messages said he was a true gentleman and he was very humble. Uh, Everywhere he worked, people liked and respected him. He had very strong work ethics and integrity. I mean, he especially loved guiding new officers and he had a knack for coaching. That was his real passion. I would say that his greatest attributes were being compassionate. He was very respectful and respected and was an amazing listener. And hmm, 
Unfortunately, that's all he did was listen. Uh, he'd listen to other officers when they needed an ear. He'd listen to plaintiffs. He'd listen to friends and family. He rarely talked about himself, his traumas, his frustrations, except me. I was very fortunate. He was very open with me. Uh, people have told me they wish he would have talked as well, but he was a very private person. Uh, he was an expert in his hiding his true emotions. He didn't want others to know about his pain or see his fears. And I believe he's far from being alone in doing this. I mean, as police officer, uh, he needed to have answers, seek. <clears throat> uh, he needed to uh, hide all his weaknesses and control situations. I mean, all while hiding his emotions. So, And I found that behavior carried over into his personal life as well. But most importantly, Guy's priorities in life was us, his family. I mean, he lived for us. He protected us. He was our unifier. He loved to organize family outings and trips and always made sure everyone was included. He was an amazing husband, father and grandfather. So it was a great loss to not having him in our lives anymore. Whew. So in my part of the presentation, as it's a two-part presentation, Veronique does hers and I do mine. My part is to outline the red flags I observed in Guy over the years. Um, we were together since we were 18 years old. So I knew if someone knew Guy, it was me. Uh, today, I'll give you an overview of my observations and concerns. And as you'll see, I also include the ones in his personal life because I think they're just as important because no one's life is only affected by their jobs. Um, so Guy was hired by the OPP in 1991. He was 21 years old. He started at the Hearst Detachment, which he absolutely loved. Uh, he's a Northern boy, so he just loved going back up North. Uh, it was a very young detachment with seasoned sergeants who were pretty laid back. So it was a perfect environment uh, for Guy. And uh, as I was going through his files and notes, and he was very uh, organized, Guy. So I went through his stuff and I noticed, uh, this is when I started to notice some of the red flags. And the first one I observed was his first suicide call. He was seven months probationary. And when he came home, I asked him how he felt. And he told me he just shrugged it off. It was just part of the job, that he had no real emotion. But this would be the first of many suicides and autopsies he would see, smell, and attend. Um, another big red flag I saw was he had just over a year on the job. And he was involved in a routine. I use the word routine loosely. A speeding traffic stop, uh, which resulted in a high-speed chase. So Guy was patrolling on Highway 11 in the middle of nowhere. It was at night, very dark. And he found a speeder. He turned around to stop the car, and the driver pulled over. While Guy was running his plates, the driver took off. So Guy thought that was odd, so he just went after him. 
and not too far after that, the driver lost control of his vehicle and flipped into a swampy ditch. So then Guy thought, what is going on? So he proceeded to get to the driver to make sure he was okay, but the driver was gone. So Guy was confused and terrified at the same time because he thought, where is he? Is he okay? And at that moment, he told me he thought that the driver was dead, that he would lose his job and go to jail, ruining all of our lives. So a lot was going through his mind at that time. As he was thinking that, Com Center radioed in and told them that they had been uh, a, report, a call reporting the driver. It was his parents. They had called 911 and told them that their son had tied them up, stolen their money, and left with a shotgun. Now Guy feared for his safety. He asked for backup and waited. And those minutes felt like hours. Finally, the K-9 unit found the driver on the train tracks, bruised but okay. Turns out the driver thought Guy was stopping him because of what he had done to his parents. Unbeknownst to him, it was for speeding. So early on in his career, he learned that there are no routine stops. But after everything happened, the sergeant asked him if he was okay. And he says, well, am I in trouble? And the sergeant said, did you do anything wrong? And he says, no, I don't think so. He says, well, then you're fine. Just take a few minutes, breathe, get a coffee, and then get back to work. But that's how it was done in the 90s, right? So like I say, I'm not here to criticize. It's just an observation that I have that back then, that's how things worked. Uh, so after that, we're three years into the job. Uh, he was 25 by then. He became SOCO. Uh, coach officer, he was asked to join, asked to join the emergency response team. And the year after that, he coached another recruit and became 2IC. He was encouraged to seek becoming sergeant, but he excelled at criminal investigations, so he wanted to focus on that. And as a new officer, he was young. He could take all of the new challenges sent his way. He thrived and he loved it. But five years into policing, I could see some changes. Uh, many of them were subtle. Mood changes, impatience, frustration. I could see some cynicism in there. All things that grew over the years. Uh, in 1996, that was a big year. Personally, he had some uh, events happen where uh, in March, uh, his dad had a stroke and was hospitalized. Two weeks after that, Veronique was born. Four months after that, his mom passed of cancer. Uh, by September, uh, he had done his term with the uh, Earth team, so uh, he resigned. Yeah, we had three young kids, no family. He wanted to be around, and he had done over 900 hours overtime that year, so he needed, uh, he wanted to be home, I should say. Then in October, he requested a transfer to Rockland to be closer to my family. I was skeptical. I mean, a country boy in the city, I asked him many times if he was sure, and he reassured me. And he said, you know, Lynn, as long as I don't patrol the 417, I'll be just fine. 
but all of the events, they happened within eight months. So that was a lot for him to take in. I mean, and doing his job on top of that. So this is why I said the personal and the professional life, they're intertwined. So as I said earlier, an officer's personal life will affect his work life as well, because it is a very stressful and demanding job. So our move to Rockland was a real adjustment. Guy had an amazing reputation in Hearst. And even though he only had six years experience, he had accomplished so much and he was giving so many responsibilities. And he felt he had to prove himself as he was surrounded by more senior officers here. I mean, everyone was really nice, but new detachment, learning the territory, the neighborhoods, the people, knowing who the bad guys are. I mean, it, he found the change very difficult. So much so that he talked about moving back to Hearst. And it just goes to show that when you, someone transfers to another place, it can be added stress and added support could make a difference because it's you're proving yourself all over again and it's not easy. But once he settled, I mean, he enjoyed working at the Rockland Detachment. He enjoyed the camaraderie, the community. Uh, he had an amazing rapport with everyone. He was respected and known to be the go-to person for advice on lane charges because he could recite definitions like no other. <laughs> what became very taxing on him, though, was being understaffed. The constant overtime, the no lunch breaks, they became very exhausting. And many calls in Rocklands are domestics. And he hated domestics. I mean, I know most do. Um, again, he'd tell me that he was young, but he could take it. And he would uh, soldier on to work and never complain. During the first six years in Rockland, he became a scenes of crime officer, coach officer twice. Uh, he showed interest in drug investigation course, and he became an acting sergeant. Uh, he showed such a promising career, and he was so proud of his accomplishments. And uh, it was no greater joy for me to hear how proud he was of uh, his work. 2004, um, it was difficult. I was diagnosed with uh, multiple sclerosis. He took this uh, extremely hard um, he was used to protecting me, uh, but this he had no control over. I'm doing well. My MS is stable, but uh, it really uh, affected Guy. I mean, he always said that I was his life and he wanted nothing to happen to me. So I, uh, I always felt bad about that. <laughs> he continued as acting sergeant, but uh, being short staff and doing that overtime, which meant more domestics, of course. And my multiple sclerosis diagnosis, well, all of those combined just sent his blood pressure to skyrocket. So for health purposes, Guy needed to step back and make some changes. Ah, my Guy, he was a problem solver. He, if there was a problem, he would find a way to resolve it. 
So his solution was to cancel his promotional process and ask to be CSO for a year. This position would give him a break from overtime and, of course, domestics. This decision was a pretty drastic change, but that was Guy's solution. After the year was over, well, he went back on the road. Again, short staff, overtime, domestics resumed. He became very irritable, impatient, frustrated. He'd vent to me and have outbursts. Then he'd apologize. He felt so bad for taking it out on the one person he loved truly. But that was part of who he was and what the job is. He talked about things he saw that weren't normal, things he couldn't get out of his head. And I'm so glad he was able to confide in me because it helped me understand why he was changing. And he told me this one day, he says, you know what? Policing made me like this. If I had another job, I wouldn't be like this. I'm so sorry. And I felt so bad for him because I just wanted to take his pain away, but didn't know how. But now you see he was getting older and the I can take it attitude was becoming more difficult to say and ignore. In 2008, he had had enough. He put a transfer to Ottawa traffic because he needed a change. Unfortunately, Guy's passion was criminal investigations and not traffic. When his name came up to go, he changed his mind and he declined. And he thought, I'll give it another chance here. Things were manageable. Uh, he was assigned to the crime unit and was considering the promotional process again. But then in 2010, our little Veronique had a side-by-side -side ATV accident, uh, which sent her to the hospital for a few weeks. Uh, she will talk about that incident during her interview with you. In September, Gay went back to work as a detective but had a difficult time focusing. One day he was interviewing a mom about an incident and she couldn't stop crying. It just became too much for Guy. He was overwhelmed with emotions and hearing about tragedy after tragedy just became too much for him. So he opted to go back on the road. One night a call came in and Guy went to answer his radio, and he couldn't say a word. He tried to speak, nothing came out. He had never been so scared in his life before. He felt he couldn't do his job anymore, and he was devastated. So he went to see a psychologist and who diagnosed him with PTSD, anxiety, depression, and OCD. He was prescribed some medication which he refused to take. His mom used to take them. And he always said, pills aren't a cure. They're just a band-aid. That he was tough and he was going to overcome everything with willpower. The problem with that is he was tough, indeed. But he wasn't dealing with his stressors. He became a pro at blocking things and moving on. He would control his outbursts. He'd change and it could last for a month. 
He had amazing willpower. But as time went on, Guy's anxiety got worse, and he decided to put in his transfer to Ottawa traffic once more. Again, the first few months were brutal. New detachment, new people, making a name for himself. He didn't feel like starting over, but it was his solution. He was, I think, six years away from retirement, and he just didn't feel like get, getting to know a new detachment all over again. But again, problem solver. That's how he solved his problems. Uh, detachment was an hour dr drive away from our house, so the days were very long, 14 hours of driving. So he found that very taxing, very difficult. And Guy was so lost. So imagine a small town country boy surrounded by concrete patrolling the 417. Now something he said that he never wanted to do. Words he told me in Hearst that he'd be fine if he didn't have to do that. So he considered transferring back to Rockland. Uh, then I said one word to him, domestics. And then he decided to stay. Uh, in 2013, uh, his anxiety was, wasn't going away. And he didn't like the man he was becoming. So he decided to take medications. It enabled him to function. However, he did not like the side effects that made him numb. So he stopped. And I knew right away when he stopped. I mean, he changed. He was impatient, short-tempered, uh, go off for no reason. So then he'd start again. And then he'd go on and off, on and off, on and off. Until he decided to take them until retirement. Guy frequently told me how he couldn't take on any more stress. A year before retiring, uh, he had partial hip replacement. He also had arthritis in his hands and type 2 diabetes. Now his health issues made him feel weak and not the man he used to be. He felt like he was the only one with so many health issues, especially his hip replacement at the age of 49. He thought that as a big failure. After surgery, he went back to work on light duties, no use of force, until retirement. For him, he felt like a failure. That was not how he wanted to end such a promising career. And he talked about that all the time, especially at retirement. So at retirement, at first, it came as a relief. Now he could relax and do the things he enjoyed. Unfortunately, Guy felt lost. He found life boring and told me he needed to find a job. The problem was... He was unable to focus or concentrate due to his anxiety and PTSD. Everything that interested him was overwhelming and weren't interesting to him anymore. He felt like he was a burden, like pain in the butt, he would say. And I was always reassure him and tell him that he was not. And I still believe he 
was the most important person in my life. And I kept telling him that, but he believed what he believed. Whenever he would start talking about work and calls he attended, he lit up. I could see how much he missed the rush of police work. And as much as he cursed it, he missed it and he even longed for it. It pained me to watch him live through all those emotions. I mean, Guy talked about how he couldn't deal with daily mundane tasks as they were too stressful. Everything stressed him out. Guy had a difficult time to put things in perspective. He had reached his threshold of stress. He couldn't sleep due to the spinning in his head. He had lost his appetite. He was often cold. He kept telling me how he just wanted the spinning in his head to stop, and I felt so helpless. Ever since I have known Guy, he had talked openly about suicide as a means to fix his problems. Throughout his career, I heard it many, many times, and he would say, it'll just be easier if I end it all, and you guys will be so much better off without me. These are words that pained me when I heard them because no one wants their spouse to talk about suicide. But for him, it was always an option, but I never thought that it would come to fruition. One night, the spinning just got to be too much and complete despair set in. He told me he did not want to die. He just wanted the spinning in his head to stop. Unfortunately, it just became too much and I lost my loving husband to suicide. And despite his love for me and our family, Guy's struggles were greater. Guy's suicide came as a shock to everyone who knew him. He was so tough. He was a warrior. Unfortunately, trauma doesn't care about that. It will stay with you if it is ignored or not dealt with. Guy's traumas, they came back with a vengeance at retirement because he had more time to think about the calls he had blocked all, over all the years. He thought his feelings weren't normal, that he was alone. Everyone else was tougher and could move past those traumas. And it saddens me so much that he felt alone when so many officers feel the same way. And this is why I feel it's important that officers start talking and sharing their traumas, their insecurities, uh, so that other officers don't feel alone, just like Guy felt that he was alone. So this is basically Guy's story in a nutshell and uh, I was telling you uh, Scott and Emily about uh, after Guy's suicide the impact that it had and how much uh, it stirred emotions in people that uh, when the psychologist went to visit the uh, detachment 12 people came forward and said, if this can happen to Guy, I'm scared it may happen to me. And they reached out. And they continued to do so over the course of the next few weeks. And uh, 
this is why it is so important to share uh, red flags and sh talk about suicide. And this is uh, my story. Wow, you're absolutely right. That is a lot to take in and so well articulated. Thank you, Lynn. I'm positive, you know, sharing more stories like that is going to help people out there. So thank you. Oh, my gosh, it's the least we can do. And uh, we do this to honor Guy. Well, you're doing a very good job of it, uh, Lynn. Um, you definitely are honoring Guy. And uh, uh, I've just spent uh, a, a couple weeks, actually, at two different uh, events, one uh, Invisible Wounds and the other one uh, Vagilife Life Canada, about post-traumatic growth. And you have pretty much hit on nearly every single theme <laughs> um, <laughs> that that is being presented there. It's just, this is just textbook how these tragedies happen and uh there there's so much we can do um it's really tough for people to reach out um and uh it's uh, it's definitely a positive thing to do um i i can tell you myself i've reached out and uh, uh a number of my former colleagues after you know 30 years in policing i i know them to have reached out and there's so much support out there uh, once you reach out, whether it be peer support, professional support. Um, so I just want to reiterate uh, kind of uh, these numbers, uh, where you can actually go to, to get all this. And we're just going to make it simple. We're just going to give the OPP numbers. There's tons of other numbers out there. Um, and sometimes when you call, if you're looking for peer support, these people at uh, the Encompass program or uh, OPP Healthy Workplace, they'll put you in touch with people like, uh, you know, Boots on the Ground or Badge Life Canada or, or somebody like that. But just just know there's people out there and they're, they're quite willing to help. So um, and this applies to family members as well. Um, uh, there's nothing from stopping a family member to reach out. It's all covered under our, uh, under our benefit programs. And, uh, and even if you don't have coverage under a benefit program, the healthy workplace team, they're, they're helping anybody, like including auxiliary officers. It doesn't matter if you're a civilian employee or, uh, you know, a part-time employee that maybe doesn't have benefits yet. Like you can go to these services. So, the, uh, the Encompass Mental Health uh, Wellness Program can be reached 24-7-1-866-794-9117 or online at encompasscare.ca. And uh, there's only one S in, in Encompass Care, um, E-N-C-O-M-P-A-S-C-A-R-E.ca. And the OPP Healthy Workplace Team can be reached 24-7 as well by calling one eight four four six seven seven nine four zero nine, or by email at opphealth at opp.ca. And essentially the, the biggest difference between these two programs is one's um, uh, completely independent from the OPP. Um, it's, it's actually administered by the OPP Association. That's Encompass and the OPP Healthy Workplace is administered by the OPP. So some 
some members out there might not find uh, they want to go to something that's run by the employer. They can go to the other one. It doesn't matter where you go. It's anonymous. And, uh, you know, unless there's a danger to yourself or others, nobody's going to know that you've, you've reached out. And a lot of good can help uh, come from it, both personally and professionally. Yeah, so, you know, we have every intention of continuing these conversations. And um, as mentioned before, we look forward to having uh, Lynn's daughter, Veronique, joining the podcast in a, fu- in a future episode to discuss her um, perspective on, you know, being the daughter of Guy and how that has affected her in her life. It's uh, amazing that what you're doing, Lynn and, and Veronique, uh, together. And there are a lot of other people out there trying to do this, but it, it can be a lonely world when you're, when you're doing all this advocacy work. So once again, thank you, Lynn. And uh, we're going to turn it over to you for any last words you may have. Well, thank you so much. I uh, cannot wait for you to hear Veronique's story. She is a brave young woman who uh, is uh, very well-spoken and uh, is able to touch touch people by uh, her words. Um, And I just hope that by sharing Guy's story, it might help other officers reflect and, you know, look within themselves and find their red flags, address them as they happen. And just to remember that seeking help, it doesn't make you weak. It makes you smart. By talking and sharing, people don't feel alone anymore. And I just wish Guy really believed that. But uh, unfortunately, uh, that's another story. Um, I want to thank you and Emily so much for having me. I mean, it's always an honor to share Guy's story and to have such a wide audience is uh, just um, uh, such an honor. So uh, thank you too for that. And I wish all the officers the very best in both their professional and personal lives and wish them all the best. Thank you, Lynn. This concludes our episode for this week. You have been listening to Lynn Boucher, the widow of OPP Provincial Constable Guy Boucher, who died by suicide in 2021. On behalf of Scott and I, we are very honored to be hosts of the 105 podcast. If you have any ideas for future episodes, please email us at communications at oppa.ca. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button on the podcasting platform of your choice. Thank you for listening and stay safe.